Good morning. Would you just bow your head in a word of prayer with me? Father God, we thank you for another day that you have given us, one that we have never seen, and yet in your glory and faithfulness you have allowed us to come together again, and we just say thank you. Now, once again, your preaching hour has arrived, and I ask now that you will anoint me for this assignment. I ask now that you will allow this, your holy word, to go forth in a way that is powerful and clear, and yet easy to understand that in the end, this congregation of saints and community might be edified and strengthened. Allow your word to help us today for the journey of life. Lord, I ask that you will allow me now to declare publicly what you've shown me privately. I ask that you will get all of the glory and the honor and allow me to repeat the process that you've done with the prophets of old, your words, my mouth. Speak, Lord. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. What a privilege and honor it is for me to be here today in the Truett community. And certainly let me uh, once again pay my respects and gratitude to the dean of this fine institution, Dean Garland, and to Professor Gregory and Professor Glower, and all of the Truett faculty to, that helped to make this institution what it is, and to the students and community that are gathered here. I've been blessed by the fellowship in the last 24 hours, and so I have just been uh, engrossed in this campus, and I look forward to learning more this afternoon. Now, I know the time is short. I have tried to set my iPhone for a timer. I don't want the Sandman to come get me uh, before class starts, and so I want to uh, use as a heading the sermonic thrust as we continue to celebrate uh, the memorial service and legacy and life of Dr. E.K. Bailey. The passage of scripture has been read, uh, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. And just in your hearing, I have the New International Translation. I'd like to read it just one more time briefly, if you would endure me. And it reads, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The marathon of ministry. In New York, the New York Marathon is considered today by many to be the largest marathon race on the North American continent. In fact, uh, just two short weeks ago, the city was inundated with the race. And it, it's a phenomenon that is just amazing when you think about the numbers and the, the work that goes into making this race a success. Every year, 
over 45,000 athletes come from over 130 countries to run 26.2 miles through five boroughs for one prize. Every year, over 45,000 runners, over 130 countries represented, 26.2 miles through five boroughs for one perishable prize. But what I like about the marathon is, is that they do everything to ensure that if you start the race, you're able to finish the race. Best Buy, uh, the corporate conglomerate, they hire a marching band every year. And so you will hear upbeat show tunes from Rocky and Eye of the Tiger and reggae music because they want to keep the runners uplifted. They don't want them to quit. Poland Spring, the water bottle company, they donate over 20,000 gallons of bottled water every year, trying to ensure that runners are able to finish the race. The Power Bar Company, they donate their power bars every year. Now, personally, I'm waiting for Snickers and Hershey's. That's the year I'm going to run. But <laughs> right, right now, it's just power bars. But they say that if you take a bite of a power bar right away, it does something to your energy level. And so they do this to make sure that if you start the race, you're able to finish the race. Then they also have what they call a sponge station. You can just grab a sponge, squeeze it, and, and douse yourself, completely immersed in, in water. And once again, they say that this will refresh the, the muscle tissue because they want to make sure that if you start the race, you're able to finish the race. But now if for some reason the marching bands don't help, if for some reason that the bottled water doesn't get it, if the power bars and the sponge station don't give you enough energy, there's one last option. And it's called the dropout station. <laughs> you, you can literally check into the dropout station. They will take your picture. They will write your name down and they will take your jersey and officially withdraw your name from the race, the dropout station. And I thought about that as we celebrate the legacy of Dr. Bailey and as we come to this critical time in the semester. I believe calendar-wise, we have about three more weeks before we all make it to the academic finish line finish line. And I know none of you want to check into an academic dropout station. But as students being prepared for full-time ministry, this will be a reality. Oh, I could recite to you the stats on burnout, pastors who quit, leaders who fall by the wayside. In fact, you know students who are at orientation with you, but they're not here today. They've checked into a dropout station. And so here are the raw numbers from the marathon. Last year, 45,103 runners made it across the finish line. But 247 people dropped out. There's an asterisk by that figure. We don't know their names. We don't know their cases or their situations. But for some reason, they were unable to finish the race. But I want to encourage each and every one of you today as you run in the marathon of ministry to finish the race. In fact, we gain even more support from this passage today.
because the marathon of ministry, first of all, requires a sense of discernment. It requires a sense of discernment. And I say that because the writer tells us right away in, in verse 1, he says, therefore, you Bible scholars know it's a connective element, really pointing us back to chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Chapter 11, the archive of some of the greatest God chasers. And so the writer gives us a scene, a great amphitheater. And then tier after tier, seats rising to the sky like clouds. And so the play on words, the metaphor says that we are encompassed. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So the relevant question is, who are they and why are they there? They are there to teach us the lesson. They're there to let us know that they've gone before us and that you and I can run the race as well. I tell you who's there, Enoch is there. The record tells us that, that Enoch followed God so closely that he did not taste death. He was translated, lived 365 years. There was no funeral for Enoch. There was no wake service for him. He disappeared with God because he was pleasing to God. And so he's listed in chapter 11. Abraham is there. Abraham, the consummate father of faith. Abraham leaves the land of Ur, moon worshipers. He does not know the way, but he knows the guide. And because of that, he's credited with righteousness. Abraham is there. Noah is there. And it's interesting about Noah. If you can imagine with me, Noah is told by God to build an ark. But Noah does not have a Doppler radar forecast. Noah's never even seen rain on the Mediterranean. But yet and still, he gets a city permit, goes down to Home Depot, gathers the material, and for 120 years preaches a series entitled, It's Gonna Rain. And because of that, he's listed in chapter 11. And, and we know all the great Bible stories from Sunday school, but, but what I like about chapter 11 are that there's, there's some people in there who may not be handed a Baptist hymnal. That there's some people in chapter 11 that might be looked over if we saw them on the road. Rahab is there. When you get to verse 31 of chapter 11, there's a change in the neighborhood. And it just says, now Rahab, the prostitute. You remember Rahab, don't you? Rahab made her living taking men to bed, bath, and beyond. Some of you all catch that in the student center after break. But we, we don't know what happened with Rahab. Why did she grow up in a, a socioeconomic status like that? Was she in a pad without a dad? We, we don't know what the factors were. But I tell you what she does. She takes God at his word and saves her entire family with a scarlet cord. city of Jericho is destroyed. But because she believed God, she's listed in chapter 11. That tells us that God is more concerned about where we're going than where we've already been. Rahab in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Samson is there. You remember Samson. Samson is the he-man with the she problem. Samson, this, this 12th judge of Israel, not only a client, but the Players Club president. Here, here's Samson, honeys, dummies, Philistinian, playboy bunnies. It does not matter. He constantly moves from X to next. Samson goes on a blind date that leaves him blind. But ultimately, in his last effort, 
destroys a pagan temple. Praise to God just one more time. Have you ever had to ask God for just one more time? Let me turn this paper in just one more time. Let, 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 let my car make it to campus just one more time. Let, let, let this check clear just one more time. I'm, I'm Samson lets us know that God will hear you one more time. But these are biopics. These are victorious vignettes that allow us to see that God works through our humps and our hurdles and our handicaps so that you and I can run the race. I told you who they are, but why are they there? They're there to teach us the age-old lesson that you've got to go through in order to make it to. Life is so conscribed and, and figured, you and I have to go through in order to make it to. Because there's always a set of circumstances between where I am and where I want to be. Right here, true it. If you want to possess an MDiv, you've got to go through 98 credit hours of work. If you want to have an MTS, you've got to go through 48 hours of, of, of study. If you want to have a doctor of ministry, you, you've got to go through three years of study with world-class scholars because life is about going through. See, opportunities do not always arrive gift-wrapped, but we have to go through. That's why the psalmist says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm just walking through. Don't change my Facebook status. I I'm just going through it. The, the hymnologist said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But then he also said, I've gone through some dangers. I've gone through some toils. I've gone through some snares because life is about going through. Frederick Douglass said, you may not get everything that you pay for, but you will pay for everything that you get. And so as we go through life, as we go through ministry, because keep in mind, ministry is a marathon. It's, it's not a 100-yard dash. It's not a sprint. It is a marathon, and it's a marathon about going through. And so I need a sense of discernment to understand those who have already gone. You can't reach for the future without touching the past. And so I've got to read these stories of faith. I've got to talk to saints who have already passed through what I'm trying to accomplish. That, that's why mentoring and other ministry programs are so vital as we run the race. And so today, as we sit in this, this chapel and prepare to go to classes afterwards, there, there's a great cloud of witnesses yelling to us, run your race. Oh, I know the metaphor is debated. Are they, are they cheering for us? Are they just martyrs? But, but there are voices that tell us to run the race. George Washington Truett says, run your race. B.H. Carroll says, run your race. Irvin Kinsley Bailey says, run your race. A host of patriarchs and prophets and preachers and missionaries who have gone before us say, run your race. Don't check into a spiritual dropout station, but run your race. But then the writer says, not only is there, there a requirement if we're going to, to go through the marathon of ministry, I've got to, it requires a sense of discernment. But then lastly, it also requires a sense of discipline. 
Look at this, this next clause. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, then he says, let us throw off everything that hinders. This is a sense of discipline because he's saying there's some things that you and I will have to divest of. The runners would, would strip down to what was vital so that they could run the race. He's saying that, that we should not have any trailing garment that keeps us from running the race. Can I ask you a personal question this morning? What, what is it in the 254 that keeps you from running the race? What, what is it that prevents you from being the best student, the best ministry leader in this season of life? What is it that keeps you from running the race? Is, is, it, is it a relationship? And after class, you find yourself sneaking and creeping, trying to keep it from leaking? It, it, is, it, is, it, is it a thought pattern or an attitude? Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great pastor of 10th Street Presbyterian, said that, that no one enters the house of God and leaves empty except those who come full of themselves. Does pride keep you from running the race? Is it a possession that has now possessed you? What is it that keeps you from running the race? You know, this past summer, there was a, a major loss in, in the pop culture world. Amy Winehouse, very talented singer, um, lost her life early. And, and she joined what is known as Club 27. It's a dubious distinction. There's a list of singers and performers. They all spiked at age 27, mysteriously, unknown, unproven. There, there's a lot. Robert Johnson, a blues singer, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain, all perished at the age of 27. And Amy Winehouse now has joined that list. And if you ever listen to some of her tunes, I know you all are saved and sanctified, but, but, but if you ever listen to some of her tunes, she has a song that is almost cryptic now. The, the lyrics say, they tried to get me to go to rehab, but I said, no, no, no. When you peel behind those lyrics, you see the struggle of life. She's saying, yes, I have some issues. Yes, I have some problems. Yes, I've had intervention. There are people who are trying to get me on another path, but I can handle it myself. And so I'm saying, no, no, no. What is it on this day in chapel service that you're saying no to? The Lord is trying to prepare you to be a pioneering pastor, but you're saying no, 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 God wants you to be a professor. God wants you to be a missionary. God wants you to have an impact in a local city while you're at this spiritual spa, but you're doing just enough to get by. You're attending just enough classes to make the grade. You're in just enough study sessions to gain material to pass the exams. Or is your struggle like Judson Van Denter, you struggled with his life and career, but finally gave up and even put it to words and just said, I surrender all. That great hymn of 1896 is still relevant today. 
Are you saying no, 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 or are you willing to say, I surrender all. I give myself away, my talents, my, my skills, so that I can be a vessel used to run the race. And so the writer is encouraging us today, dropout stations, 247 people dropped out of the race. Every day, ministry leaders resign. Ministries fall. Things crumble and collapse because individuals are overloaded and unable to run the race in the life of balance. And the writer says, if we're going to run the race, then we've got to have discipline. Ministry is a marathon. And so he says, this is how we run the race. He says in verses 2 and 3, I don't have more time to, to exegete, but, but he says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author, he is the archagos, he is, he is the perfecter of our faith. The Latin Vulgate says that he is the consummator of the race. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Not Jesus seminars, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus because he's already finished the race. Richard Wright, that great Guggenheim Fellowship Award winner, said that the church is where we come to dip our tired bodies in the cool, refreshing springs of hope. And I, I, I pray that, that all of you have a ministry where you can be uh, uh, re revived, where you can be reignited, that you have a pastor who's praying for you. That, that you have a, a church mother or a church leader who has laid his or her hands on you for the anointing of the ministry. Because ministry is a marathon. It's not a 40-yard dash. It's not a 100-meter relay race. But it is plodding day by day, trying to get to the finish line. And so the writer says, and it closes here with, with the hint of clause, uh, just simply saying that, that keep your eyes on him in order that you will not wax tired. St. Ignatius, one of the great church fathers, said that when you look at his diary, you see that he had a prayer that he would begin each day with it. He would say, I want to be an instrumentum conjunctum cum deo. I want to be an instrument in the contours of the hands of God. Is that your prayer today? You want to be an instrument used by God to run the race? The race isn't given to the swift or to the strong, but to those who endure it. Do you want to run the race with perseverance, keeping your eye on Jesus so that you will not wax tired, some translations say. And so the writer is conveying to us, if we're going to run in the marathon of ministry, it requires a sense of discernment. Study how other leaders have progressed. Read great Christian autobiographies and biographies so that you can see how others have made it. Study and learn. Avail yourself to being taught by a leader. There's a great cloud that cheers us on. Day by day saying, run your race. 
But then the marathon of, of ministry also requires a sense of discipline. What are you willing to give up so that you can run the race? What hindrance are you willing to lay down in order to run the race and keep your eyes on Jesus? So the writer gives us hope three weeks away from the semester's end. The finish line is approaching. The holidays are upon us. We will see once again ads for support for those who suffer from sad or seasonal affective disorder. This is the time to be merry. This is the time that is filled with joy bells and Christmas gifts and meals and dinners. And yet and still there will be some playing the lyrics of the lonely life. And so we are called to run the race in season and out of season. So once again, the, the, the marathon of ministry is calling each and every one of us today. When, when you enrolled in ministry, you enrolled in a marathon. Truett Seminary is just part of the relay team preparing each and every one of you for the race. Let, let me close with this. There's a high school in, in New York, and it, it's a Catholic school, and it's, it's known as Christ the King. They have an outstanding academic program, but they also have a strong sports program. In fact, when you go in the basketball gymnasium, just like here at Baylor, you will see championship banners. Banner after banner in the lofters. And, and uh, not too long ago, they had a team that was uh, not up to par on the standards of what the school is used to. I think the tallest player was barely six foot two. But somehow this team pulled together, and they, they got off to a slow start, but they made it all the way to the city championship game. Once again, people did not think that they had a chance in this tournament, but, but somehow they were able to come back even when they were down in the second half, and they won that game and won yet another city championship. The next day, one of the local papers that was covering the game had in the headlines uh, a very simple yet poignant lead. It just said, Christ the King does it again. <laughs> that, that was the title. It, it said, Christ the King does it again. I looked at that title. I, I said, that title is 2,000 years old. That, that, that This has already happened. Because over 2,000 years ago, that's what happened to Jesus. They said that he wouldn't make it. They said, we've gotten rid of this miracle worker. That They said, we are ending his ministry. And he died on a cross on Friday, stayed in a grave on Saturday. But early Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. And that's why we can say Christ the King does it. Again, let me help you with your devotional life. The next time you turn a paper in, you ought to just lift up your hands and say, Christ the King does it again. Anytime your tuition is balance of zero, you ought to just walk away from the bursar's office and just say, Christ the King does it again. Every time you complete a course, Tracking your way to your degree program, you ought to just say, Christ the King does it again. Anytime you're able to put gasoline in your fuel tank, 
you ought to just drive away from the gas station and say, Christ the King does it again. I wonder if there's anybody in chapel today that can just testify that God has done some things for you that you could not have done for yourself. And you want to thank him, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. He keeps on doing great things. He's a great God. And so you and I can run the race, the marathon of ministry. It's not a sprint. It's not a dash, but it is a marathon. But if you will run the race, Christ, the King, will do it again.